All right. If you want to grab a seat. I want to uh, I want to kind of enter back into things here a couple ways. The first one is in that new song we sang, there's a line, uh, we dance in your freedom awake and alive. We don't we didn't seem like we didn't seem like a dancing congregation. Which which made me wonder if we were an awake congregation. Uh, you don't have to dance when we sing that song, but feel free. You should. There you go. Uh, the other the other thing I want to do here as we as we get ready to jump into God's word is uh, just take a moment. It's Memorial Day weekend. Um, want to say thank you to those who have uh, given of themselves to protect our country. Uh, the freedoms that we have here in America, Um, just even the ability to gather here this morning and have no concern about whether or not it's acceptable for us to be able to do that is a blessing here in the United States and one that many people have given of themselves in order to protect for us. And so I want to say thank you to those who have done that. Thank you to those of you who might have family members who uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice in the giving of their lives in order to do that on our behalf. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the ability to just be present here as a church family and to worship alongside each other. Uh, God, that blessing and that gift is something that I pray is never lost on us. Lord, uh, we're reminded that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in places all over the world who don't have the ability to do this and would long for it. Um. Lord, we often take church and our church family for granted to the point where when something doesn't suit us exactly as we would like for it to, we'll just run off to another place. But in many countries around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ wouldn't care anything about the specifics of what it looks like to gather with other believers. They would just be glad to be able to do it and not fear for their lives. Um, And so, Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for the men and the women who have uh, risked their lives and given of themselves on our behalf in order to protect those freedoms along with the many others that we enjoy here in this country. Um, Lord, we're grateful for what you've given us uh, in this place. Uh, We realize that our nation isn't perfect, Lord, but at the same time we look forward expectantly to a day when we will inhabit a place that is. And we pray that from this moment until then, Lord, that you would continue to use us to bring your kingdom here to this earth, Lord, to spread the message of the hope of the gospel, uh, not just here in our nation, but to the ends of the earth, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Uh, We're starting a new series this morning, and it's going to be in the book of Proverbs, but we're actually going to begin that by looking at 1 Kings chapter 3. So, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 3, and I just want to give a few scenarios. Picture a 22-year-old, fresh out of college, just accepted their first job, let's just say as a dental hygienist. They've received their very first paycheck, and they're looking at that paycheck, which might be the largest sum of money they've ever dropped into their bank account at one time, and they're thinking... How exactly am I supposed to use this? Picture a 34-year-old, three kids, one in elementary school, 
one in preschool, one in diapers. Laying there awake in the middle of like the fifth consecutive sleepless night, asking themselves, are we doing this whole parenting thing right? Or a middle school student trying to figure out how to navigate friendships and relationships in an increasingly complicated web of social interactions. Maybe a 40-year-old has been married for 15 years, but something just doesn't seem the same anymore in that marriage. They're asking themselves, what's gone on here? Maybe a sales manager at a company that deals in medical technology products and the pressure for revenue from their boss is mounting. The stress is high and they find themselves getting shorter and shorter with the people that they work with and their family at home. Anger seems like it's at their doorstep all the time. They're trying to figure out how to manage it. The owner of a founder of a small business. There's always the pressure to cast vision, make plans for the future, chart a course of action that will increase larger profits and business growth. But sometimes they feel overwhelmed, not just by the business as a whole, but the decision-making process in and of itself. A nurse who really enjoys the men and the women that she works with on her floor at a local hospital. Or maybe a high school student who really enjoys their group of friends. And in either case, one of their favorite times during the day are the slow moments. Maybe at lunch or in between visiting with patients where they're just able to sit and talk with those that they work with or go to school with. But the problem is, sometimes, whether it be because it turns to gossip or because the content isn't exactly the kind of thing that you'd be comfortable talking to your grandmother about, they're not sure how to engage in those conversations. We could list innumerable other scenarios. But the reality is that we all need wisdom. We need it in the daily matters of life. And the good news is that God not only cares about those daily matters, he also has something to say about them. That's what we want to spend this summer talking about. We spent all of the last year talking about what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And the first thing here at LCF that we list in that category is that it means that we're gospel-centered. And I think we all understand, at least cognitively, that the big, massive, sort of uh, overriding umbrella there within that is that we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That would be what it is to build a life on the gospel. But how does that actually trickle down into the day-to-day interactions, decisions, and uh, sort of uh, life situations that we find ourselves in. Well, the Bible has plenty to say about that. How do we take the gospel and let it influence all that we do and all that we are? Proverbs is full of practical help, practical wisdom from God for weak, stumbling, struggling people who are trying to sort out how to handle the the day-to-day issues of life in light of the gospel. And so this morning... We're going to launch into a series in the book of Proverbs. What I want to do, though, before we flip to Proverbs starting next week, is that I just want us to set sort of a foundation. And I want us to set that foundation by looking at Solomon. Let's see sort of the big general ideas of the book of Proverbs. What it is, how it came to be, what we're going to see within it. Let's just get the big picture firmly in our minds And then we'll start to launch into the book of Proverbs next week. So the Old Testament comes generally in three sort of categories. There's 
the law, the Old Testament law, we would lump all of that together, not just the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but all of the narrative books of the Old Testament get lumped together in what uh, Jewish people would put under the umbrella of the law. The law points us to our need for a savior, our need for something more than an Old Testament priest who would go into the temple once a year, the middle of the temple, once a year on our behalf. We need something greater than that. And then there's a section at the end of the Old Testament that we just lump together is the prophets. Major prophets, minor prophets, Haggai and Zephaniah fit into the minor prophet category there that we just finished with. And they say that there's a savior coming. There's something coming that's going to put an end to all of our striving and here's what you can look for and here's what that's going to be and here's why you need it. And then in the middle of those two things, there's a chunk of Old Testament literature that's called the wisdom literature. It's in the wisdom literature that we see that the Lord cares about the nuances of daily life. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon make up the wisdom literature. Job is wisdom and suffering, or more notably, God's sovereignty in the midst of our suffering. Psalms is wisdom in worship, or more notably, that God's worthy of our worship. The book of Proverbs contains wisdom for living, and God's advice or his structure for how it is that we live wise lives. Ecclesiastes is about wisdom and meaning, uh, and most notably, that God provides meaning to life. And then Song of Songs is wisdom for marriage. That God and the church are a picture of it, but that picture plays itself out in a real-life relationship. I don't want us to think of Proverbs simply as a self-help book. Yes, it's loaded with easy-to-remember statements about a vast array of topics. Yes, it's massively practical and useful in everyday, every-situation sort of ways. But at the same time, Proverbs is not just full of tips on the latest fads in leadership or self-care or parenting or time management, etc. Instead, it's ancient wisdom that has stood the test of time because it was written by the one who not only transcends all time, but stepped into time in order to live perfectly in a way that we cannot. The book of Proverbs is loaded with the gospel. In the words of one commentator that I was reading this week, the book of Proverbs is good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. And that another comes with a capital A. In the Old Testament law, we saw that Jesus is greater than a priest. In the Old Testament prophets, we see that Jesus is greater than a prophet. He is our Savior. In the Old Testament wisdom literature, we get a picture of Jesus as a daily mentor. The really good news about the book of Proverbs is that Jesus not only provides the wisdom we need to live well, but he's lived it as a model, and he sent his spirit to us as helper. And who better to get that kind of mentoring, modeling, and help from than the one who lived human life perfectly. That's where we're headed. We're going to start with a man named Solomon. What we see in Solomon is wisdom and folly just mixed right together. At this point, you say to yourself, Tim, I I hear what you're saying about Jesus in the Proverbs, but Jesus didn't write the book of Proverbs. You're correct. The book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. There were a few other authors, but he wrote the lion's share of it. And the wisdom of Proverbs, though, is not primarily the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon is often referred to as the wisest man who ever lived. I think that matters. Everywhere I looked, no one described Solomon as the wisest person who ever lived because men, we can agree that a few billion women were probably wiser. 
I would contend that Solomon is the second wisest man who's ever lived and that all of his wisdom was borrowed. We're going to walk through a portion of 1 Kings this morning and we could focus on any number of topics out of this passage because it's an amazing passage of scripture. But what I want us to look at exclusively this morning is Solomon and his relationship to wisdom. I'm going to start by reading the first three verses of 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places, because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Statement number one about wisdom. And that's that wisdom from the world is not always wise. Wisdom from the world is easy to copy, though. Just in this three-verse stretch alone, Solomon makes an alliance with a powerful nation. That would be a smart thing to do, right? He marries a woman outside of the people of Israel. Is Is it really that big of a deal? In fact, that was a very common practice among the people that he was leading, even though God had said not to do that. Solomon and all of the other people sacrifice on the high places, oftentimes to random, unreal gods, right? The thought being, well, that might be helpful. What if, what if that little g god could help us in some sort of way? One question I want us to answer every week of this series is, what does the world say? What does the world say about any given topic that we're going to look at in the book of Proverbs? Those answers are often fairly easy to find. You can wander into a bookstore and find a whole section dedicated to the world's wisdom on any number of topics. You can open up Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and find any number of self-declared gurus giving you their thoughts on fitness or finance or family or fashion or fill in the blank with whatever else you want. Even more fundamental than any of these, though, is the reality that hardwired into our very culture is a prevailing sense of what is right, what is wrong, and what is wise. Sometimes those principles are true. Sometimes they're flat-out lies. What often happens is that when we arrive in a situation where we're looking for wisdom on something, we run to what the world says works rather than beginning with what God says and then filtering that in to the world's prevailing wisdom. What I don't want us to do over the course of this series is just assume that anything you might find in a bookstore is ultimately unhelpful because that's not true. There's a lot of great, helpful, wise books out there about any number of topics that you can take and apply to your life. But you've got to start in the right place. And that's what the reality that wisdom must be sought. We have to search for it. Look at verse 5 with me. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You've continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne, as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place, yet I am a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. 
For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Notice that this pursuit of wisdom in the life of Solomon begins in a place of humility. I am a youth with no experience. Give your servant a receptive heart. If you think you have all the answers, you'll never search for wisdom. You won't think that you need it. But from a place of humility, Solomon says, give me a receptive heart to judge your people and discern between what is good and evil. There is wisdom. Wisdom to administer justice, to be able to know the right thing to do in any given situation. Wisdom to know the difference between good and evil, to be able to see sin and evil for what it is and to avoid it. But that has a beginning point. Solomon knows that that wisdom must be sought. He understands that it has to be received. He first and foremost asks for a receptive heart. That has to be our beginning point. As we launch into this study of Proverbs, the first thing we need to do is get before the Lord and pray that He would save us from the pride that lives in our hearts, that deceives us into thinking that we have all the answers or that we don't need to look elsewhere for them, that deceives us into thinking that some other human being might have all the answers and we don't need to begin with the Lord in our pursuit of wisdom. I actually want to pray that for us right now, if you would join me. Lord, Lord would you clear the pride out of our hearts? Lord, as we seek to live lives that are centered on the gospel, would we not think that we could do that by beginning in any other place than other with the one who sent us the gospel? God, if we're going to build our lives on the truth of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and if we're going to allow that to trickle down into all of our lives, Lord, we've got to be willing to say that he has all the answers. So would you rid from us the deceit that says, I don't need wisdom. I have all the answers for myself. I don't need wisdom from the Lord. I can find it in another human. Lord, would you give us receptive hearts to receive from you your wisdom, your practical wisdom for everyday living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wisdom must be sought. But then something else we see here is that wisdom is from God. That's where Solomon goes to receive it. And then we see this. Read with me starting in verse 10. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, Because you have requested this and did not ask for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. We have to seek wisdom, and we have to seek it from the Lord. That begins in a place of humility. It asks the Lord for the very heart necessary to receive it, and then it stops talking and starts listening. That's what Solomon does. And the Lord is happy to answer. In fact, it actually delights the Lord to give Solomon that answer. And so he gives to Solomon a wise and understanding heart. In any situation, at any time, you can go to the Lord and ask for wisdom. You can open up his word and see what he has to say. 
But the reality is that his answer might fly in the face of what our world says. In fact, his answer, more often than not, will fly in the face of what the world says. And so the second question we're going to ask after we ask the question, what does the world say, is what does God say? We have to seek that, though. We have to be willing and persistent in looking to him, reading his word and seeing his principles and his commands, looking to Jesus and seeing the model, relying on the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and the strength to reject the sway of the world's thoughts and to walk steadfastly in the Lord's thoughts. We're going to handle the book of Proverbs a little bit differently uh, than maybe we, we typically handle Scripture here. Over the last few years, we've gotten into a, a really nice rhythm of just taking a book of the Bible or a section of a book of the Bible and working through it verse by verse by verse. Proverbs doesn't lend itself perfectly to that. The first few chapters do. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in a pretty expository, just straight kind of way. But then after that, we're going to start working with these Proverbs by topics. It works best to group the Proverbs together into similar themes or to similar topics. And so that's how we're going to take those. And we're going to ask the question on any of those topics. What does the world say? What does God say? And then we're going to ask the question, what do we do with this? Because wisdom must be employed. When I was in college for a couple of years, I lived in a duplex with four other guys. The duplex had uh, what I think is one of humanity's greatest inventions, a dishwasher. The duplex also had a guy named Jason, who in Jason's words, doesn't trust dishwashers. I said, this is like the third day of living there together. I said, what do you mean you don't trust dishwashers? Like you don't trust that it gets the dishes clean? And he said, no, I just don't trust machines. So Jason would let no one use the dishwasher. We had a dishwasher in this house, and yet every day, there we are, scrubbing at the sink. We had a dishwasher that was very, very useful, yet it was ultimately unhelpful because we didn't put it into action. If you just scan your eyes down, 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 16, Solomon is presented here with a challenge. Two women come to him. They both have recently uh, had a child. One of the women, her child died in the middle of the night. And when that happened, she went to the second woman and she took that woman's baby. Now the second woman comes to Solomon and says, this is my child, I want it back. Verse 22 no, the other woman said, my son is the living one and yours is the dead one. And the first woman said, no, your son is the dead one. My son is the living one. So they argued before the king. And the king replied, this woman says, this is my son who is alive and your son is dead. But that woman says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. We've got a classic, she said, she said situation over an infant. The king continued, bring me a sword. So they brought the sword to the king, and the king said, Cut the living boy in two, and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My lord, give her the living baby, she said, but please don't have him killed. But the other one said, He will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two, which I have a hard time picturing any human being saying. The king responded, give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is his mother. There is wisdom 
employed. It's wisdom in action, put into practice in daily activity. Isn't that what we all want to do? Isn't that what being gospel-centered is all about? Sure, we need to get the big, the massive thing right. We need to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, receive God's grace, be made clean before Him. But we also have to learn to grow in getting our details in order. And yet, wise people can make foolish choices. In fact, if you just flip over to 1 Kings chapter 11 really briefly... Solomon, the man with all the wisdom in the world, all of the wisdom of God right at his disposal, makes an absolute shipwreck out of his life. I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines, and they turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow the other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the eyes are in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the, Edomite, of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. This sort of thing can happen to anyone. Even at our very best, our desires and our longings are often divided. It was true for Solomon and it's true for us today. The struggle with abiding by words of wisdom usually has far less to do with the complexity of our external circumstances than it does with the reality of our internal world. In the, world, in the words of Martin Luther, Christians are all at the same time both righteous and a sinner. We have at our disposal all the wisdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to fight against foolishness and sin, and yet the reality of our own flesh makes it so that we often fall into sin, sometimes even habitual sin. If you have a Bible in front of you, you have the Savior before you and the Holy Spirit within you, then you have all the wisdom that the Lord has to offer. And yet, if we don't put it into use, it's like the dishwasher in my college duplex. Wonderful, magnificent, functional, but idle. Wisdom must be employed. So we always want to ask in the course of this series, what should we do with this? But then we want to ask a final question each week. And that question is, how does the gospel sustain this? That question is important because we could take functional principles and try to put them into effect in our life and think that by doing so, we've actually done something to accomplish righteousness and salvation within us. We need the reminder every single week as we look at very practical, very helpful tips from the book of Proverbs that ultimately it is the gospel that has made us righteous, it is the gospel that enables us to walk in righteousness, and it is the gospel that is going to sustain that walk over the course of our lives. How does the grace of God accepted by faith in Jesus Christ make it possible for us to not only remember God's wisdom, but apply it to the daily activities of our lives. Proverbs is full of the gospel. 
which means Proverbs is going to continually point us to Christ. On the surface, the book of Proverbs is Solomon's wisdom passed down to us today. But at its core, Proverbs is the wisdom of God given to humanity for our own good, ultimately modeled and lived out perfectly by Jesus. This is a lengthy quote. It comes from Charles Spurgeon, but he says this better than I could. I must remind you that one greater than Solomon is here. For the Spirit of God inspired the Proverbs. The Son of God lived them. They are not merely jewels from earthly minds, but they are also precious treasures from the heavenly hills. So that the advice we have here is not only the counsel of a wise man, but the advice of, the, of, the, of that incarnate wisdom who speaks to us out of the word of God. Would you become the sons of wisdom? Come and sit at the feet of Solomon. Would you become spiritually wise? Come and hear what the Spirit of God has to say by the mouth of a wise man lived in the life of the wise man. Proverbs 13.20 says that he who walks with the wise grows wise. Wisdom does not save, but we can walk with the one who does. And when we do, he helps us grow in our wisdom because he is wisdom. And because of that, saved people can become wise people. But notice the order there. Saved people can become wise people. We must be saved first. We look first to Jesus Christ as our Savior before we look to Him as our example of wisdom. And once we get that in order, wisdom then is the life of Christ putting before us an example of how to live. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that He became wisdom for us. He was perfectly wise in all the ways that He lived. We can look to Him as an example of what we see in the book of Proverbs. The book of, let me just take one of the most famous Proverbs, one of the most well-known Proverbs. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails, or the Lord who determines his steps. And then we see Jesus making statements like, it is my food to do the will of the Father. Praying in the garden before his crucifixion, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. There's Proverbs come to life. Many were the plans in Jesus' human heart. Probably a plan that said, that cross is going to hurt. And yet it was the Lord who determined his steps. And so Jesus submitted. Wisdom is the life of Christ putting before us an example of how to live. Wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. The life of Christ is the most beautiful human life ever lived. And when you see a person walking in wisdom today, it is captivating. I think of the most wise people that have ever been in and around my life. I wanted to be around them as much as possible because their wisdom was beautiful. Not just that they could make good decisions in any of the situations that existed in their lives, but their wisdom reminded me of the beauty of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's grace that in our lives He beautifies us in that way. By walking with the wise one, our lives are beautified into the image of Christ. And then last, wisdom is the gospel reshaping us for glory. You got reshaped for glory one time in your moment of salvation, from dead to alive. You get reshaped for glory daily in your moments of repentance, moment by moment as the wisdom, power, and the Spirit of Christ mold us into a life that conforms to the model of Jesus. This is a poem by an unknown author. 
sums this up very well. When a God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns that with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into shapes and forms of clay which only God can understand. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes and how he uses whom he chooses and with mighty power infuses him with every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Wisdom is the gospel reshaping us for glory. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts, like Jesus is reminding us that a life that looks like his is a life of denying ourselves. Sometimes it's hard. Like Jesus is asking us to pick up our cross and drag it from point A to point B. Sometimes it leaves us at odds with our culture. As if Jesus is calling us out from the comfort of our fishing boat, our tax collecting booth, to follow him in fishing for men and collecting souls for eternity. Neither of which we could accomplish in the shelter of the ways of the world. But it is always worth it. Because we're being shaped for something so much greater than what any of our normal days might entail. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are being shaped for glory. He who walks with the wise will become wise. That's Proverbs 13.20. It's my prayer as we go through this series that those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ would learn to walk with the wise one and become wise. That we would learn to walk with the wise one because we know that one day we will dwell with the wise one. That we would learn to walk with the wise one because one day we know that we will reign with the wise one. In the here and now, we can move in those directions by walking with the one who was, is, and will forever be perfect wisdom. I want to look as much like Jesus in my final moments as I have at any other point in my life up to that. And that means walking with him and allowing him to shape my life into his, not just in the big, massive aspects of life, but also in the daily minutia. That's what it is to be gospel-centered. But we need to be saved people before we become wise people. And step one in walking with the wise one is placing your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sin. Not all foolishness is sinfulness, but we're all foolish people who are marked by our sinfulness, and we need a Savior for that. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that this morning, and then you can embark on a lifelong journey of becoming wise by walking with the wise one. Let's sing together. Pray together. Lord, it is, it is a joy to be able to come together with this church and as one body to proclaim, Lord, that our souls declare that Jesus is better. Yes. Lord, I pray that over the course of this summer, God, that you would illuminate to us Lord, how it is that then the victories or the riches or the comforts that the wisdom of the world might entice us toward, that Jesus is better. That your way is better. God, that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. Lord, would you make our, 
hearts and our minds believe that with all that we are. Lord, would we be a group, uh, a church of people who walk in a wisdom that is beautiful because we walk with the one who is wise. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next, uh, next Sunday, we'll jump into Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, I want to give a homework assignment, and that's to read that chapter a couple of times and ask yourself the question, why do I need this wisdom? Why do I need this as you read Proverbs chapter 1? One other statement about this series. You're going to see someone other than me up here a lot this summer, and that's because uh, I'm not the cornerstone and the pinnacle of being able to mine wisdom out of God's Word. And a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about are things that this 33-year-old hasn't walked through yet. And so you'll see others up here teaching uh, quite a bit, and that will be for the benefit of our entire body and me included. Amen? You can say that louder about me. All right. Have a great weekend. We will see you soon.